Welcome to the Top Order podcast, coming to you here from Logie Barogi, otherwise known as Loughborough in the UK. We've got Lippy in his garage uh, just outside Albany, Borders in his bedroom, and I'm in my office. It's the Top Order podcast. We're with pre-eminent sports psychologist Dr. Jamie Barker, and we're going to talk England-India, the Basball revolution, and much, much more. Stay tuned. Well, Jamie, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast much over the course of the last few weeks, but I've been getting a hell of a lot of shit from the Kiwi boys, um, really for my sort of lacklustre attitude to the renaissance of England cricket. So it's great uh, to see you representing with your lovely um, powder blue uniform on there, mate. I think that's the the 2019 World Cup version, isn't it? So the less said about that, the better. But look, we, we were keen to get you on. We've got a little bit of listener feedback in the social channels, uh, talking about this Basball revolution. But before we get into all of that, just keen really as an England fan to get your take on the summer so far. Um, and of course, this you know fantastic run chase, chasing down um, a, mere, a mere 378 to win by uh, seven wickets at Birmingham, my hometown at the Edgebuston. Thoughts? Yeah, kind of tricky one to explain in some ways psychologically you know you, you kind of England have been you know it's fair to say pretty ordinary uh, in test cricket over the over the recent past and then you know you get a a new a new captain and a new head coach and, and all of a sudden you know it looks it looks to be pretty pretty neat and swimming in the right direction and uh, I think you know, sometimes it, it, it can be a case of new ideas, new impetus, but it feels like there's a little bit more going on behind the scenes than, than just that. Because I think if it was that simple, then lots of other teams would, would do the same and would get the same the same kind of bounce. And and that could be another explanation, is that this is just the psychological bounce that we see, you know, in the Premier League, where you know, or in football more generally, where, where managers would get axed and then a new manager would come in and and for for six or seven games, it's almost like, well, what was the problem? And uh, I and I think you know Steve Smith. I saw a video of him last week talking about you know laughing, saying, "Is this sustainable?" And I think I don't want to be the pessimist, but that's part of the question I'd be asking about how sustainable is is this approach, and and can you adopt that in in every situation and in every condition? And I think. Do you pr- come on, come on, boys! I I can't I can't let Jamie and I can't let you, Binksy. You, you guys have got to be excited about what's happening with this team at the moment. You guys, three hundred and seventy-eight. That I mean, I, and to be honest, when that total came up, was it ever even in doubt? Did you even like honestly? You guys have got to show me some excitement because otherwise, I might have to find a new podcast. I'm I'm okay if England's going to win. But we we must have some excitement when that happens. So, so Jamie, just take the I guess take the psychology away from it purely as a as a cricket fan. You are sitting there in in your England shirt, and I'm glad you've done it because it winds up an Australian and a Kiwi and most of our listeners. But yeah, just from a purely from a cricketing perspective, you you played a lot of cricket. Um, you've been a fan of the game as well. What what are your your emotions just around watching the side and and maybe yeah indulge Lippy a little bit with a little bit of revelry. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good point because I was probably being, I was probably trying to give you the professional lens. But actually, if I give you the fan, bloody excited, bloody amazing, you know, like. And I was at Edgbaston on the, the second day, unfortunately, when it rained. But it was interesting, the sense in the, in the crowd when we bowled England, uh, India out, that it was almost like, right, come on. And, you, and it's a little bit like in, 
in a footballing sense, when teams get a corner and it's almost like you hear the crowd, you know, and you could feel that. And I've never been at a test ground. I don't think ever watching England where there was this right sense of we're going to bat now. So, right, everybody sit down. And I think they used to talk about the Botham effect, didn't they? That, you know, the, the bars used to be pretty empty. Uh, would be pretty busy, sorry. And then when both of them came out to bat, then, you know, fans would then go and watch. And it was a little bit like that. It was thinking, crikey, I can't actually ever remember this. But but then, you know, I'm going, actually, three, seven, eight. Probably, yeah, we've got a pretty decent chance of getting this. And I, I don't think I've ever thought that before. But it is interesting how you, you can kind of get sort of caught up in that. And, yeah, amazing. But I think equally, knowing that, what what impact is that having on the opposition? Because India, we like, you know, they must be thinking, crikey, we could have scored 900 here and England would probably still have a go. And I think that, that mentality shift is huge. And so it's not it's not just huge for, for you as, as the team. It's also huge for the, the opposition thinking, crikey, no matter what we do here, we're, we're going to be up against it because these guys are going to come out hard. And I, I, I mean, you know, you talk about the great Australian sides, but I don't even think they played like this. You, you know, they would often look to win games in a more traditional sense, you know, bowl you out, score loads of runs in the first innings, bowl you out cheap in the, in, in the fourth innings. But this is a completely different way of playing. So hopefully that is an element of excitement. It's great to watch, isn't it? You know, fantastic for um, for the world of cricket, I think. And Lippy, I'll just jump in as well. I know on the social media, um, someone made a comment around how England were going to go on that final day chasing the runs. And um, after the start that we got off to with um, with Lees at the top of the order and Crawley, um, I made a pessimistic comment that, you know, a wicket here changes this in the morning. That was, you know, that's the old way of approaching a big run chase, isn't it? A couple of wickets early in the fifth morning and you know the game's over by lunchtime and you you know you're in the bar and it was oh well we were never really going to get 378 if I'm brutally honest I did that as my normal social media trick it was pure kidology I actually thought we were going to piss it particularly with you know Root and Bairstow set at the crease I was just like there's an old ball we got I think 25 overs or something like that until the um, until the new ball was available on, on that on that morning and I just thought yeah I am I am getting up tonight or, you know, going to come home from, from work and have dinner, put the kids to bed, and I'm just going to watch England canter to victory. And I, I've got to say, I've never, ever felt that watching this cricket side. And, and that goes back to my first memories of watching England play Test cricket in 1990, uh, 1991, 92, a, a West Indies tour, I think. So, um, mate, uh, you've got it out of me. I was, I was pumped. Hey, Baldy, I wouldn't mind you jumping in, actually. Uh, Jamie made a good point there about, um, the, you know, the Australian team and watching them. Like, I'd be interested to know, yeah, sort of that feeling of, of you when you were watching that, that Australian side that just felt like it was going to win all the time. Yeah, but like Jamie said, it was a very, very different way of going about their cricket. Australia wore you down uh, with Warren and McGrath. This England side seemed to attack at both ends, and I think that's a major shift in the in the psyche of of English cricket, not just to be able to chase runs down, but to go after the bowling um, with just disdain for wherever the ball was being pitched. It didn't matter if they were bowling dry outside, off stump, 6th, 7th channel, 
Bairstow was hitting the ball up through, uh, on the up through the offside. They ran really well between the wickets. The running between the wickets was super aggressive. So not only were they looking to hit boundaries, but they were looking to hit four and then one. So all of that kind of batting side of things, massive, massive mind shift. But on the other side of the coin as well, with their bowling and their fielding, England were just all out attack. It felt like all the time, and it didn't really matter whether it was new ball or old ball. England were trying to attack and take 10 wickets as quickly as they could, which they've talked about. Um, Binksy, you pointed it out to me offline the other day. You know, taking 10 wickets in 60 overs, even if it costs us fours, is 240. Taking 10 wickets in 100 overs, if it costs us threes, is 300. We're plus 60 in that scenario. So they're the kind of numbers that are supporting this all-out attack mentality, and it doesn't matter if it's new ball, Jimmy and Stuart Broad, or if it's, you know, old ball, it's Ben Stokes, it's guys bowling short, it's trying to do something all the time to take wickets that is a little bit different to that Australian mentality, even with Warren and McGrath. That was, we're going to build pressure over a period of 10 or 12 overs and then look to strike at 60, whereas now England are looking to strike at 45-50 if they can with the ball. And looking, as you say, the remarkable thing about all of this is... England's mentality was we've got 25 overs before we get the second new ball to tra- to chase down 380 runs inside 80 overs. That is an unheard of, unprecedented mentality in, in modern test cricket. So that's what's exciting. Win, lose or draw, the fact that 4.5 is the new normal now in test cricket and the new way of going about business, that's the thing that's got to have fans excited about coming back to watch test cricket because that level of attack and that level of excitement and entertainment is on par with T20 and it's on par with ODI cricket because there's so much more that can happen in a test match in and around that four and a half runs and over that makes it just a fantastic spectacle for fans. Awesome. Jamie, so you'll know we were tagged or you were tagged on social media. I think um, one of our listeners said it would be great to get a sports psychologist on to talk about this. And we said, well, um, for the first time in the Top Order podcast history, we might be able to deliver on some listener feedback. So uh, we've invited you on to talk about just perhaps how England have done this. So um, if we cast our minds back to the start of the English summer, we didn't have a cricket managing director. We didn't have a head coach. We didn't have a captain. Um, All of a sudden that kind of came full circle. We got Rob Key, appointed as managing director England men's cricket he's appointed a bit of a left field selection in Brendan McCullum as the Red Bull coach um, almost unnoticed Matthew Mott sort of slipped into that um, that white ball um, white ball side the first question I, I want to ask you is if you think about the lead into that New Zealand test series for McCullum was only about a week um, from being at the IPL with the KKR he's got you know seven days or so with the side and then has gone into essentially four pretty much back-to-back test matches against, let's not forget, world test champions in New Zealand and the world's one-day ranked um, side. I'm pretty sure um, New Zealand might have left the mace at Lords on their um, on their way out. But um, look, in terms of, uh, look, I guess in terms of what McCullum has been able to do in that short space of time, take us behind the scenes, what might he have done alongside his skipper, Ben Stokes, and um, the well-fabled leadership group um, that they might have established as part of that, that back room? Yeah, I mean, I think what, what, what you're seeing here is, is not too uncommon to, you know, any high-performing business or, you know, whether it be the military or, or you know, you know it, it is having a sort of a, a clear sort of leadership structure. It's having 
everybody sort of buy in, but almost it's, it's just taking a step back and going, actually, what, what is our identity as a, as, as a team, as a business, as an organisation? What sort of cricket do we want to be playing? But, but more importantly, perhaps, what kind of players do we have available at this moment in time in terms of playing a certain brand of cricket? So actually, if you look at the England side, you know, with the exception of maybe a couple of players, they're probably not all, all in it for the long game. They're, they're not able to bat some of them for two and a half days, you know, and the very sort of stoic approach. But when you look at that team, they're, they're all pretty aggressive. They're all pretty positive. They're all shot makers. The bowling is pretty similar as well. It's, it's attack minded. It's take wickets. It's kind of be aggressive. So actually, when you look at it, you go, what, what sort of a team do we have and, and what kind of identity would make sense for that but also what sort of a team do we want to be and then all of a sudden you can start then to craft actually it's going to be about fun and it's going to be enjoyment it's going to be about being aggressive because that reflects the very people that we have out on the field but I think one of the key things that, that we we generally do as well and, and probably he's done less so in in sport is, is actually going out to the players and saying guys what, what why do you play for England you know what what does this mean to you what what it what sort of a cricket cricket do you want to be playing? Rather than the head coach saying, "Right, guys, we're gonna. This is the way we're gonna do it. I want Binksy to to block the shit out of it, and you know, for two days. And and this is how. We, and it's kind of like, well, Binksy might go, yeah, but I don't want to really want to play that way. But if that's what I have to do, then I'll do it. Whereas if you then start to go, guys, how do you want to play your cricket? You know, what what were the very reasons that you started playing cricket? So go back to some of that, that sort of childhood stuff. And, and when we do that, we know that the, the, all the reasons that we all played cricket were because it was fun, you could hit something, you, you could run around, you'd catch something and you'd throw yourself around. So it's actually not necessarily rocket science, but, but really just trying to connect with some of those values that I think that um, are, are generally the main motivator be, behind why we do stuff. I think as we get into the more professional realms, it's like, well, we've got to hit here, we've got to hit here, you've got to, you know, your head's got to be going. It becomes very laden with some of this technical jargon, which, don't get me wrong, is really important at certain times. But actually, you're not dealing with players who don't know how to play cricket here. You're dealing with guys that know how to play the game. So you create then a template to just go and express and have fun. And, 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 the, and the outcome of that, well, it looks, it looks brilliant. It looks like a load of guys playing for pure fun and enjoyment and if you look at Stokes's behavior on the on the field smiling fun you look at players in the slips they're having a laugh and a joke he's he's highly supportive I think that's the key thing to say as a leader on the field you're not seeing four balls and then him turn around and shaking his head he might a bowler might go for four but they've executed the plans and he's like clapping his hands and he's patting them on the back so actually what you've got there is a leader who is really supportive, highly supportive. You've got McCullum, highly supportive. And I would imagine in the background, Rob Key has been laying the foundation. And if you, you know, I don't know Rob Key, but what I know about him, you know, pr pretty, pretty fun-loving guy, I would say, humorous, would take his cricket serious, but not overly serious in that sense. You can start to see how some of that is, is permeating through. So, yeah, it's probably a bit of a long-winded ramp, but, Hopefully that makes some sort of sense in, in terms of what we see. So I'd be saying it's very much about identity and values and connection with those things. 
Yeah, on on the stuff that you've just been saying, is it surprising from a psychology point of view that it's happened so quickly? Because I think when we talked about the series, you know, beforehand, we were saying, well, you know, okay, McCullum's come in, it might take him this whole series or this whole summer really to start kind of seeing what impact he can have on the squad. And, and Stokes, you know, I, I want to make it clear, I, I, I actually don't think it's all McCullum. I mean, he's obviously had an impact, but as you say, Stokes seems to be having a huge impact as well. But yeah, from that psychology point of view, how... Like, is it surprising that it's happened just so quickly? Because that, that's been the most surprising thing for me from not having that background. Yeah, and I guess this is where we, when we started the call, I was probably being a bit pessimistic because part of me psychologically thinks it could just be a bounce. It's almost like the old regime has gone, a new regime has come in and everyone just gets a bit of a lift. So I think that's the, that's the cautionary note I'd be I'd just be shining on it is to, is to say, yeah, the, the sustainability, the longevity of this will really be the proof in the pudding. And if you, yeah, because it could just be a bounce. I hope it isn't. I really hope it isn't. But but you see this so many times in sport. The new coach, the new manager, players get a lift because it's, we're just doing stuff differently. If you compare it with Roots, uh, you know, it's difficult to, uh, to, to, to challenge Roots as a player. In fact, you can't. But as a captain, he would have had fielders out on the boundary early on. Uh, and if you compare that with the approach that Stokes takes, you know, four slips in a gully, five slips in a gully, it's completely different. So, so straight away, you've got a very different behaviour set that's going on there. But, but again, you, you know, it could just be that it's different uh, and therefore guys are going, this is great. But, you know, if we get skittled out for 66 and 50 <laughs> in the next two, then equally people will be going, well, you know, is it the way to go? And if we concede 600, you know, so yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be the pessimist, but you see so many times the psychological bounce in sport that it, it potentially could be that. If it isn't a bounce, if this is a long-term thing, how long does the streak need to go on for before we can kind of put the bounce theory to bed? How long does a psychological bounce normally last for before you kind of see a regression to the mean, if if as it were? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the research done in done in football across loads of different leagues is that. Generally, what, what you start to see is, you know, when a manager is kind of on the way out is that performances will generally like gradually and then rapidly nosedive. And then when you get a new manager in, you see that immediate response and there might be a gradual increase in performance. But say over, it can be anything between six, nine, 12 months that you can start to regress back to, to the mean. So it, it it really depends on the nature of the playing squad, the position that the team are in 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 terms of league position, you know, whether they're fighting for the championship or relegation, those types of things. But but it isn't that long, actually, when, when you think about it. Sometimes it just falls out of our memory because we go, oh, these guys come in and they've made a huge difference. So so for me, I, I'd, I'd kind of be looking at, you know, this time next year, where are we at? You know, because in that time, England would have toured um, and, yeah, they'll have played a summer series or half of a summer series again. So I, I think that would be the testing ground for me. In the next 12 months, where are we at? You know, what, what does the, the, the success rate look like? What, what's the brand of cricket? You know, are they, are they making changes when, when they go overseas or are they still playing the same thing? And I think that would be the, the proof for me. You know, if we can sustain this over 12 months, then it's probably looking in good shape. Bearing in mind, there'll probably be new players that come in in and around that 12 months as well. So are, are they able to carry that? carry that on uh, and, and from a, a head coach's point of view this is always the challenge is about being current and being innovative and, and sometimes you know if 
yeah, like you can't be a one-trick pony and have one message. So, because otherwise players will just get used to it. So it's kind of that, how do you keep upskilling that, upscaling that that brand, that identity? Also, otherwise it will be, it becomes just quite mundane. It'll be just, oh, okay, right, right. You need that kind of consistent um, impetus. And I guess somebody like Sir Alex Ferguson, I'll get United quote in there, but uh, somebody like Sir Alex would have been great at that, you know, constantly looking for that that evolution and, and uh, without revolution, I guess. How much does the continuity of selection help in terms of keeping that message going? This is the first time I think that I can remember that England have picked the same batting lineup for four consecutive tests and they've stuck with their bowlers as well. They've stuck with Jimmy and Stuart. As long as they've been fit, they've played. Matthew Potts has been a revelation coming into the side. But how much psychologically does continuity of selection, particularly as an opening batter or as a young bowler, and also as a spinner, help with that with that understanding of role, understanding of what you need to do within the side and being able to go and execute those skills knowing that you've done it before and that you can do it again and again and again if you have to? Yeah, great question. And I think, you know, the work I, I would do in professional league sport, I would say it's huge. And it's but the bottom line of that is trust. And and uh, as human beings, we, we like to know that we're valued and that we're trusted. But also we, we don't like uncertainty as human beings. So telling a player that you're going to play for the next 12 months, wonderful. You know, that, that gives you certainty. We were just undertaking a, a piece of research looking at mental health in, in professional cricket, um, in, in male professional cricket in the UK. And one of the biggest stresses, will be no surprise to you guys, was contracts. And, and guys that were on one-year one year contracts experienced the most stress, the most uh, unhelpful emotions versus guys who were on two- and three-year. Quite obviously... They were given the, the continuity. They were given certainty. So I think exactly the same thing is, you know, you know, and, and the old England adage, I, I remember, you know, uh, Mark Lathwell played one test in the night. You know, he scored a shed loads of runs for Somerset. He was going to be the, the new guy, came in, you know, played one test and that was it. And I think in those days it was like, you know, you might get one go at this. Whereas now you're saying, actually, you're not just going to get a series, you're going to get a year. You're going to get a year. And whatever that year looks like, we're backing you because we think you're the best player. And I think huge, the players I talk to, that what the coaches say or the behaviours that the coaches display towards a player is worth its weight in gold. You know what? We can have conversations about confidence and about where they get confidence from. But ultimately, a, a, a comment by the coach, a behaviour that demonstrates support for that player will be will supersede any of those things because that that is the currency they value most uh, uh, most of all, above and beyond what a commentator would say, above and beyond what maybe a, a, a teammate would say. It is the value of the coach and the selectors, and, and, and that's massive. Jamie, the, the rhetoric around the performance over the last four test matches, the word clarity has been used a, a hell of a lot. Um, and almost that's the only word that's been used. It's just we've given the guys clarity and that's it. That's all we're um, going to do. F- from, uh, look, I guess sort of delving under the covers a little bit, ca- can that vast performance improvement, albeit over a short space of time, really be as simple as that um, that clarity? And then the second part of that is when England inevitably hit a bump, how do they stick to that message and not start adding lots and lots of things to it? Yeah, again, again, two, two really great, great questions in, in relation to the world of sport, I suppose. I, th- I think clarity is important. It can often be 
it can often be a bit of a throwaway. It can be seen, well, you know, it can't be as simple as that. But but we know, of course, in in elite sport, there is so much noise that that can go on. There, there is so much input that, that potentially could be going on. And I think having a very clear objective very at a team level or objectives, but also at an individual level, like, you, you know, you get the, the example of, of, of Potts, you know, you can see there clarity in what he's being asked to do. It, and it, 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 it looks quite simple, but of course it isn't just that simple, but it, but it is around clarity. So if you're an opening batter, you, you know, it, is it just to be super aggressive, run hard, call well? It could be. It could be like, actually, those three things, if you do them repeatedly well, you're probably going to be in a good position. It's not about, you know, right, you've got to score 65% of your runs down between, you know, mid-wicket and, and deep fine leg because that's where, you, you know, or you, you against this bowl, you've got to hit him through a, a deep extra cover or whatever. You know, and while that information is important, it, it just doesn't always aid to clarity. So I think having very clear clear goals about actually the brand of cricket we're trying to play, the objectives for this particular session, um, or maybe for the next 10 overs, but then having clarity as an individual player and knowing your role. You know, I've, I've worked in lots of teams where you would say to a player, OK, you, you bat at five or you bat at six in your bowl. What do you think your role is? And it would always surprise me that they would sometimes say, um, well, I, I bat at five and six and I, I bowl. OK, but but in what context or what? Well, I do those things. I'm being facetious, but there wasn't always the depth of clarity that I would have expected. And even when you talk to guys that open the batting, you know, I open the batting. That's that's my role. Yeah, but what's the what's the what's the role of opening the batting? What what approach are you taking? And it it hasn't always been clear. So I I think that that given that again is is is, is freedom, but also a sense of direction. And I would imagine players are having buy into that as well. This is the way I want to be playing. This is the way I think I can be contributing towards that team as well. I think is 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 important. And the second point of your question, Binksy, can you just remind me? Sorry, I got excited and carried away. Yeah, so so the second piece really is around when they do inevitably hit a bump in, in the road, how do they kind of, you know, stick to that that course and, and not add too much to it to try and maybe write the tiller to continue the sailing references? Yeah, trust in the process because I think that the key sign is is that you hit a bump in the road and then you regress back to what you've done before. And that demonstrates, like wildfire then through the team, actually they didn't really believe in the sustainability of the process. So you have to trust it until there becomes a point where you go, actually, guys, this isn't working. But I think a, a, blimp, a, a blip in the road, a road bump, you know, they're, they're always there. But, but it is around trusting the process. If this is the brand, this is the way we... We generally believe we're going to do stuff where we carry it on. And that has to come through in the messaging as well. Um, you know, again, around clarity that we're in this for the long haul. It isn't just a short-term fix uh, to get bums on seats. You know, this is generally how we want to be doing stuff. You and Adam have done a tremendous job at keeping the lid on all the excitement that I think the neutral cricket fans and the general cricket public are feeling about this England resurgence, renaissance, uh, resurrection, whatever R word that you want to use to describe it. How much from a psychological point of view are the players buying into the hype and buying into or reading about in the red tops um, or on social media 
the success that they've been having? How much are they having to keep a lid on their own kind of positive praise, if you like, to make sure that this thing can be sustainable and they don't get away carried away with the hype? How much of that do you think is going on within the team? Yeah, I I wouldn't uh, specifically. I wouldn't know. I mean, I, a lot of players I would work with, you know, don't often engage in the media for for obvious reasons because I think sometimes they describe that, you know, you the, the highs and the lows that the media would give, you know, and if you if you live your life through that, you, you can be quite a soul destroying place. You know, one day you can be the next thing since sliced bread, and the, and the following day you can be chastised and be the worst thing so I think yeah it's, it's tricky to know how they would be engaging with that I think internally you'd be going okay we've chased 380 brilliant let's celebrate that moment what an achievement but then equally you'd be kind of like okay well what's the next process what's the next part of that I'm a big believer that you, you know you celebrate success and you reward success also otherwise you kind of go well what, what the heck do you play the sport for so, so you enjoy that moment, you enjoy that test victory because it was monumental. But but then good teams, I think, are able to then go, okay, that was then, this is now. So so we've enjoyed that, we've been brilliant, it was fantastic, but what's coming next? And then we start to build towards that. And I think that's generally how, how you then sustain, you know, become sustainable. Um, I think, I, again, being around some teams, I, I'm not sure they ever reward success particularly well. And that isn't just going out and, party and is kind of like you know different ways you can demonstrate that but, but I think sometimes it can be like well we don't really we don't really celebrate the successes but we hammer ourselves when we fall short so then kind of go well what, where's the enjoyment in this what's the point of doing this you spend so much time working hard for it and then when it comes around you don't enjoy it because you know we can't be seen to be having a good time and stuff like that so I, I'd like to think they would celebrate it but then internally, you well then just trying to look at the sustainability and trying to keep a lid on it. Um, yeah, probably not engaging too much in the media, although that'd be difficult. Be difficult, you know. They got large social media presence, and um, but, but yeah, I think that would be the way I'd be trying to control it if I was in in that environment. And Jamie, we will finish the podcast on a positive note but I, I just want to pick up on I guess the opposite of Baldy's comment there so um, Joe Root has been absolutely brilliant I think in all of the interviews that I've seen him do post-match and you know he obviously picked up about 17 different trophies for the amount of runs he scored over the course of the last four games so he was he was at that sky cart or, or with Jonathan Agnew a hell of a lot very self-deprecating in terms of saying you know this wouldn't have happened when I was captain but I think, you know, part of that, yes, he's a cheeky chappy, but there's got to be a little bit of a mask there from a psychological perspective. So my question here is, could this current rhetoric really start to affect some of the old guard, and um, particularly the Roots and the Andersons and the Broads, who've kind of been through some of those lows? You know, how, how would Root really be feeling after five years in the role, not the level of success that they've had in the last sort of couple of months? And, and now it looks as if, you know, change a captain, use the word clarity and you win four test matches um, on the bounce and everybody's scoring double hundreds. So, yeah, could this have a negative effect on any of those guys that have been in the group for a little while? Yeah, yeah, possibly. But, but if you, but, but I think sometimes, you know, people, people sort of go, well, you know, he's a bright guy, he's an intelligent guy. And you would go, look, you know, what they're doing is is maybe different to how I did stuff. And 
he would understand that you know the momentum shifts in sport and bounces you know so he would have seen lots of that and and I would get a sense that you know he wouldn't be bitter by it he'd be excited by it like I think Jimmy came out and said you know this is the most fun I've ever had on the cricket field or, or, or a message like that and you think this guy's pretty much lived and seen most things so to be able to say that that's that's pretty powerful I think the, the other thing that we perhaps haven't spoken about and I think is a really interesting narrative is that for effectively two years, this group of players had lived in a bubble, as a lot of other test teams did. And and what we know about those is, is the mental health consequences and the well-being consequences of living in a bubble are are, are pretty bad. Uh, and I think, you, you know, so, so it's, again, I'm being slightly pessimistic. So it's, it's, it's easy to say it is about clarity and it's about new coaches. But again, another factor that could play a huge difference here is we are back to relative normality in terms of how we now play cricket. And players staying in hotels but being able to socialise, families being around, mixing with the opposition in ways that we did before. So again, I think that's a really important consideration when we start to think about how England are are playing. Of course, doesn't, you know, because you're not seeing that with every team. So there is something interesting happening. But I think England predominantly, from what we hear, suffered the most in terms of tours that they've been on during during the COVID period and, and lived in a lot of bubbles. And, and, and Root would have been one of the constant mainstays of, of that, as, as Broad and Anderson would have been. So I think for them, that would have worn them down. So, so you, you would get quite fatigued and tired, you know, living in that, but also then trying to lead, be a senior player. So actually, there, there may be an element of, I just needed I needed somebody else to do it and I'm glad somebody else is doing it because now it enables me to to do the stuff I wanted to do I think and that, I think that's an interesting or an important consideration when we're talking about what what we're seeing here. Well Jamie as ever it's been fantastic to talk cricket with you for half an hour or so and, and get your take on it. What what are your predictions for the end of the test match summer for this England team and uh, don't let Lippy down with you know guarded uh, realism. What are we going to see in those uh, those test matches against the South Africans? Yeah, well, so I was chatting to a friend about this the other day. So I was going, um, I, I, you know, I hold New Zealand in high regard. You know, brilliant test team. Um, and we took them down. Uh, I think India have probably got one of the best bowling attacks in the world and we took them down. Uh, South Africa, I, I probably don't think are as good as either of those two. Uh you, you know, in terms of collective team, but also you know bowling or batting lineups. So you know, I, I'm going for a, I'm going for a clean slate here. I'm going for a, I'm going for a bit of a whitewash. There's my prediction, uh, unless the, unless the the rain hammers us. But uh, yeah, I, I could see it being. Bit, I, I'm hoping it's going to be destructive. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Well, Jamie. As I said, absolute pleasure to have you join us on the podcast again. A rare occasion where we end with a little bit of English um, optimism. Please do look out in the feed over the course um, of the next couple of weeks. We've got plenty more cricket coming up. There's white ball cricket 
um, all over the world, which we will talk upon. A brilliant century by uh, Michael Bracewell in the game against Ireland this morning for the Black Caps. Uh, we'll also have Mark Ellison up on the podcast as well in the feed. And as well, our fantastic and stellar back catalogue, including uh, the venerable Dr. Jamie Barker. He's appeared on a number of episodes. So dip back if you like what you've heard um, about his musings on our wonderful red and white ball game. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Good night.